never take no for an answer and then never, never give up. Um, I have hit a lot of barriers and obstacles uh, in this journey. Uh, I had a faculty member at university tell me to drop out that science would, I wouldn't be successful in science. Um, you know, we've had investors say, this is not an investable business. We're not putting money in. Uh, and I turned around and raised a million dollars, you know, turned around and got a PhD. Um, so I, I just believe that obstacles are just challenges that you have to find a way to, to figure out. Welcome. This is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and performance coach. Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week we bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to the Phil with Forbes 30 podcast. Today we have a very special guest. He made the Forbes USA, Asia, and Middle East list in 2016. Yes, all three in the same year. First time this has happened. Uh, and it was for the social entrepreneurship category like mine. He is the founder of Lucky Iron Fish. It's a small piece of iron shaped like a fish that you drop into your pot of boiling water when you're cooking. So you can get a significant portion of your daily recommended dose of iron added to your meals. This helps reduce iron deficiency, which is the main cause of anemia. Through this role, he was a Fulbright Scholar at Auburn University and was awarded the prestigious Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award. He also successfully pitched on the UK's version of Shark Tank called Dragon's Den, where he was able to secure a deal with two dragons. Oprah Magazine said this fish is off the hook and CNN said this little iron fish is fighting a global health problem. Please welcome my very special guest, Gavin Armstrong from Lucky Iron Fish. Hey, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. I know the listeners are going to benefit from your story, Gavin. Um, we were lucky enough to meet back, I think it was in 2016, uh, in Miami for the Clinton Global Initiative University, which was such an amazing time. And again, Gavin was crushing it on stage, presenting Lucky Iron Fish and talking about all the good work he's doing. But um, so welcome to the show. I'm honored to have you here. And it's such a pleasure to be able to reconnect. And um, before we dive into things, where were you when you found out you made the Forbes list, all three? <laughs> um, I actually, I found out about each one individually. Um, and uh, the first one, the, you know, the main one, I was actually uh, getting ready for uh, Britney Spears concert for my 30th birthday. Um, so I had like, just made it under, under the wire. Oh, wow. You had a lot going on. Was that your first concert ever? It wasn't, um, but it was a way of sort of saying goodbye to my 20s uh, and moving into like, real adulthood. What better way than a Britney Spears closure? Uh, my first concert was in Philadelphia. It was Usher, and uh, I loved Usher, and I was in high school, and Kanye West opened up for him, <laughs> just to show you how, how dated that is. Um, before we dive into Lucky Iron Fish, Tell us how you started. Take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now, making it to the Forbes list and, and beyond. Yeah, um, so I, um, I have a bit of an interesting uh, history of, of how I've ended up where I am now. Uh, when, I was, um, when I was in high school, I, I felt pretty lost and was trying to figure out you know, what, I, what I wanted to do. I was always fascinated with business. Um, yeah, I was always interested in reading about businesses and, and watching shows about business. 
Um, but, but also I, I was bullied a lot uh, in, in school and um, really that pushed me to a place where I always felt worthless and I always felt like I didn't have any value. Uh, and when I, when I got intrigued into, into business and, and actually banking uh, through a co-op program, I thought, well, if I, if I go into business, I'll make money and then that's a way of proving these bullies wrong. It's like adding, adding value to yourself. Uh, so I went to the University of Guelph, which is outside of Toronto, to do a commerce degree. Uh, and I, I hated it. I was miserable. I was failing. Um, and it's because I didn't have the right motivation. I was in it for the wrong reasons. Um, and you know what? I, I started reflecting on why am I trying to have some superficial lifestyle uh, to prove some bully wrong, who I'm probably never even going to see again, um, and be miserable in the process of doing it. Uh, so I took some time and I, I started learning about global issues and actually took a field course to Botswana uh, in Southern Africa. And it was my first time leaving North America. So it was quite a trip to go on. Um, and I had a remarkable time. It's a beautiful country. You know, I saw incredible wildlife, but I also saw abject poverty up close for the first time. And it was you know, the first time you couldn't kind of change the channel. Um, and that's when I got interested in, in learning about hunger. And so I came back to, to university. I started a club on campus focused on finding solutions for, for problems around hunger. Um, and through that, I actually spent some time in Dadaab in northern Kenya in a refugee camp. At the time, it was the world's largest refugee camp. Uh, and it was there I learned about the concept of hidden hunger or malnutrition. So at that time, about a billion people were going to bed hungry every night, but 5 billion people were malnourished. So it was this massive problem that no one was talking about. And the longest, uh, largest form of malnourishment was iron deficiency. And so I decided to go back to the University of Guelph, do a PhD on this, on this program. Um, and then through that, was able to work with uh, Lucky Iron Fish and commercialize it. And that's how I got here today. Wow. Talk about a transition. I mean, <laughs> you're thinking I can go about this through economics or finance or banking, and then you switch to something uh, much more, let's say, uh, impactful in terms of global issues or helping the base of the pyramid. And, and so once you identified that this was the major issue, how did you transition into coming up with a physical product? How did you know that, okay, this is the answer to the biggest problem we have, iron deficiency for malnutrition? Yeah, so there was work being done in Cambodia by a researcher named Christopher Charles uh, on the concept of cooking with cast iron to, to fortify meals with iron. Um, and, and I met with him and, and working with him, uh, he had a concept of something called the happy fish um, and developed this, this pro a product, uh, which was a, a unit that you could put into your food. Um, and when you boiled it for 10 minutes, it would fortify your meal with your daily required iron intake. And the clinical studies that we had done were really positive. Um, so I felt that this would be a great solution for Cambodia. Um, and so I still felt business was uh, a tool that could be used to solve uh, global problems. So I went back to my original childhood ambition of, of, of using business, but actually turning it uh, for business for good. Um, but as I was trying to build this business out in Cambodia, it really wasn't working. Uh, the local community was having some um, you know, resistance in accepting the product. Um, and we couldn't really get trust in, into the local uh, area. But at the same time, I would travel globally and, and talk about our concept at conferences. And I'd have a lineup of people after every one saying, I have iron deficiency, could I buy this for myself? And that's when I realized that there was a, a global opportunity for this product. So commercialized it in, in Canada, of uh, Guelph. 
and uh, started selling it online with the buy one, give one program. So if you bought one for yourself, we would donate one to a family in need in Cambodia. And that was a way that we could still fulfill our mission, but also create a sustainable business. And that company's now taken off and now we're global and it's fantastic. It's amazing. And how, how did you know to turn it into a fish? Was it always a fish or like, how did you come about that? So the original concept was actually an iron disc. And though that was scientifically effective, uh, women said, this looks like a piece of trash that you picked off the side of the road. And I mean, it, it did. It was like, it looked like garbage, um, but it, well, it had scientific merit. And so um, after some, some uh, research, it was, we discovered that a symbol of a fish is lucky in Cambodian culture. So Chris actually worked to, to shape that disc like a fish. And then women wanted to use it because they thought it would uh, make them lucky. Uh, and then when they felt healthier from the iron, they would say, oh, it was the luck of the fish that did this. Uh, and that's where the name Lucky Iron Fish comes from. Wow. Because in Cambodia, it's seen as a, a sign of luck, a symbol yeah. of luck. Is, is that apparent elsewhere in other countries? And so a symbol of a fish is really relevant in multiple cultures and religions. Um, and so we've actually been able to, to scale that uh, shape uh, as we've grown globally. The only country where we've seen a lot of resistance to the fish is India, uh, with a very vegetarian population. Uh, women are very hesitant to put even a fake fish into their cooking pot. So for the Indian market, we've actually developed the Lucky Shakti leaf. So it's the exact same thing. It's just shaped, uh, shaped like a leaf. That's smart. I love that. You, you can kind of customize it based on the cultural needs mm -hmm. of the population you're serving. And it probably makes it more child friendly too. When they see the fish going in like, oh, hey, it's time. It's meal time. It's time to add the fish into our cooking pot. So it's also educating children as they're learning about foods and nutrient dense foods and how to cook properly. Have you seen that? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, you're exactly right. It's really adorable to see these kids play with the fish. I mean, I've got one here. Like it looks, it looks very cute. There's a smile. Um, and oh, very it's really cool. to talk to families about nutrition. The one challenge we had, and there's a community in, in Cambodia, um, I was talking to the mother and when I finished all the fish were gone and, and I turned to a, a, a person I was working with and said, you know, where'd they go? And he said, well, the kids wanted to put the, uh, bring the fish home. So they threw them all in the river. Um, and so we had to change our marketing a little bit to say that these fish love to live in your home. They're part of your family now. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't throw them in the river. That's genius. I love how you change the craft of your message to you didn't just set a rule. You made it a part of the branding like, hey, they love to st spend time with you in your home. So that way it, it shifts the mindset and they now look at it as something they should keep rather than maybe toss in the ocean or the river or the pond or the lake. Yeah. In our clinical trials, we uh, we're really proud of our compliance rate. It's over 90 percent. And when you compare that to iron supplements, which are around 30% in the same trials, you know, it's astronomically higher. And we attribute that to the way we market the product and we educate people about it. And I think the cute features of it help. Um, but uh, we, you know, I think it's all of that that um, make people want to use it every day. And how long does it take again once you put it in the cooking pot for you to get the full um, disbursement of the iron? So the best way of using it is just boiling it for 10 minutes. So put it in for 10 minutes. Uh, if your meal is longer than 10 minutes, either the at the beginning or at the end, um, and that's it. And doing, uh, boiling it for 10 minutes uh, every day, it'll last for five years. So it's an incredibly sustainable solution. Uh, you know, one-time purchase for half a decade for an entire family. That's amazing. And have you now considered other nutrients that you want to maybe add to the diet? 
So now that you know, Lucky Iron Fish uh, has become uh, a globally recognized brand with, and uh, our story uh, is, is well known around the world, uh, we are looking at what other challenges we can solve. Uh, I mean, iron deficiency is the world's largest nutritional challenge, 2 billion people suffering from it, and rates are actually going up. And now that we're in a sort of COVID environment, uh, the focus on nutrition is even more critical than before. So we're actually looking at other ways we can help uh, continue to solve iron deficiency, but are looking at some other nutritional uh, challenges as well to add into our, our pot. I was working in, as you know, early childhood development, but before that, I was inspired by malnutrition as well. And one of the biggest deficiencies we found was vitamin A. I'm not sure if that's still the case. This was back in like 2013 in Haiti. We were looking at helping individuals there. And it seemed like vitamin A was a big issue in the first, you know, zero to three years of age. Have you seen any work there? And is there anything looking promising for you guys solving some of that? Yeah, I mean, vitamin A is one that there, there's a lot of focus on uh, because it is so critical. Zinc deficiency is also a massive problem. Uh, but a billion people and, and a zinc deficiency can compromise your immune system. And again, now that we're focused on healthier living uh, in a post-COVID world, um, I think that'll be really critical to look at. I feel like you could have a whole zoo of animals of, that <laughs> each one represents a different vitamin or mineral or micronutrient that's needed. There's definitely a few different uh, yeah, cool, cool inventory options we're looking at. It's amazing. Congratulations on the success. How many countries are you guys in now? Um, so the fish is available in over 80 countries uh, through our e-commerce platform. Uh, we've focused with our, um, our institutional work in about 20. Uh, we've, sold, um, we've sold over 100,000 units and helped improve the lives of about 900,000 people around the world. Wow. And so if you're in the U.S., you can purchase it right now on your website? Yep. So luckyironfish.com. And if you buy one for yourself, we still have that impact model where we take a portion of the proceeds uh, and use that to distribute free fish to communities in need. I love that. And, you know, thinking about your success and what got you to where you are now, what do you think is the single most important personal attribute, Gavin, that got you to where you are today? Um, so, so something that's been said to me by um, members of our, our team and our board uh, is that I never take no for an answer and then never, never give up. Um, I have hit a lot of barriers and obstacles uh, in this journey. Uh, I had a faculty member at university tell me to drop out that science would, I wouldn't be successful in science. Um, you know, we've had investors say, this is not an investable business. We're not putting money in. Uh, and I turned around and raised a million dollars, you know, turned around and got a PhD. Um, so I, I just believe that obstacles are just challenges that you have to find a way to, to figure out. Yeah. I remember a mentor, you know, I'm not very religious, but I remember a mentor who was pretty religious. He said, you know, God doesn't put obstacles in front of you or walls in front of you for you to just shy away from them. It's to build you up and to, to see if you're willing to, to overcome the challenge and obstacles and find ways to improve yourself and grow and develop. And I always, that always stuck with me. Like, you know what, this is just another learning lesson to build my strength, to build my knowledge, to build my skills and not just shy away from it. And it sounds like you did that in a multitude of cases. And, um, you know, on the flip side, what do you think, you know, not just your success, but on the flip side of your journey, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, what do you think was the biggest lesson you've learned during your journey that maybe you wish you had learned from sooner? Hmm. So we're really committed in having impact embedded in our, in our whole business model. Uh, so it's not just the product itself, but how we produce the product, the team, uh, that's bringing that product out. Um, what's our environmental footprint? 
And um, as when we were just in Cambodia selling uh, a couple dozen units, it was really easy to have all of these impact goals. But as you start to scale and you become global, um, you have to be willing to adapt and pivot uh, how you manufacture the product. Um, and I mean, if you're selling on Amazon, uh, unfortunately, there are certain you know, packaging requirements that really go against our core belief on, on plastic use. Um, so you have to be adaptable. And, and I, I think at the beginning, I, I really dug my, my heels in and, and said, like, no, we can, we can change Amazon, um, but you can't. Uh, and, and so if, if doing that a bit sooner, um, maybe we could have, have grown a bit faster. Um, but I'm still really pleased that we always just look to do things differently. So it's not that we give up on our impact ambition. Uh, we just try and figure out how to put that somewhere else or how can we offset what we're doing in another way. Um, and sometimes that's you know, more difficult in, in times of financial difficulty. Uh, but again, just like any other challenge, we never uh, take that as an opportunity to give up. Uh, we're always saying challenge accepted. Yeah, that's like what you said earlier, you know, sometimes digging your heels in and not taking no for an answer is one way, but you need to find that fine line between, you know, not taking no for an answer, but then knowing when it's time to pivot or adapt or be flexible to adjust. And that's what I love about social enterprises. I think in the, eventually in the future, there'll be no such thing as nonprofits and for-profits. It will just be businesses that do well financially, but also do good. They're not mutually exclusive. You can have both. And in some cases like yours, it actually leads to more financial sustainability and long-term sustainability because now people want to get behind the mission but you also thought about it in a way that doesn't require donations, but rather can function as a standalone business on its own. It's self-sustaining. And I found in my journey of being a social entrepreneur, I used to succumb to that mindset too of, you know, impact, 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 but you can actually impact more people if you think about it from a business case sense and build it financially sustainable. Yeah, that was the motivation for, for having Lucky Iron Fish be a, social, a for-profit social enterprise. And it was that sustainability and scalability. Uh, so by taking uh, outside investment, uh, going down traditional capital routes, uh, we've been able to pivot, we've been able to grow. Um, and um, I feel that it's put us in a very good position. Um, and I'm just really excited to see what the next chapter holds for us. And what do you think now is, is the biggest challenge? What are you trying to overcome or deal with that's like a fire you're putting out and you're like, man, I really hope we can get through this or get over this or, you know, put this behind us. So the, uh, we sell a Lucky Iron Fish uh, through two different uh, main channels. There's a direct to consumer, which is mainly online. So our website, uh, as I said, there are uh, units on Amazon. Uh, but then we also do institutional sales to NGOs, uh, governments, um, you know, aid agencies. And um, we've made a lot of progress uh, in that area, and we've got some really exciting things in the pipeline. Um, but the global pandemic can really derail some of those plans. And some of our target countries are some of the hardest hit by COVID-19. Um, and so our partners have said that we're, they're still interested, uh, but they have to press pause because they have their own, some new problems that they have to focus on, which is completely understandable. Uh, so we're trying to figure out how can we pivot in the short term to still survive, uh, while we wait out uh, what's happening uh, globally so we can continue back on that path once the time is right. Yeah, because direct to consumer, you might have to have 100 conversations to, let's say, sell 100 fish. Whereas if you get an institution that wants to come in and buy 10,000 with one conversation, it's obviously more lucrative and, and you know, of a, a higher return on investment of your time and effort and energy. 
Yeah, it's definitely so, yeah. how we're looking at improving the impact. So when we look at uh, you know countries where um, 50% of the population is iron deficient, um, by having, uh, you know, as you said, a few conversations with an institution, um, that's we want to we want to live in a world where um, there's no anemia through iron deficiency, and so that we feel the best way of doing that is by having relationships with these institutions. And who's your most popular customer right now from an institution standpoint, but then also from a country standpoint? Um, I mean, right now, the United States is, is one of the largest purchasers of the Lucky Iron Fish. Uh, and it's mainly women who are iron deficient and looking for a more natural and sustainable solution uh, to deal with that. So we have a lot of women who are using over-the-counter products and they either don't like the cost, they don't like the side effects, um, you know, there's no impact, there's no mission uh, driven behind that brand. Uh, and so when they hear, hear about Lucky Iron Fish, um, not only the sustainability, how it's natural, that there are no side effects, but also that by buying one, we're helping a family around the world. Um, that really resonates with that customer. Um, and, you know, there's some really great institutions, uh, probably too many to name uh, partners that we're working with. We've got some great pilots underway right now. Um, and we're going to be highlighting those on our, on our website um, throughout the year. One partner I should mention, though, is Sahara uh, in India. And this is a, um, a community of HIV positive people, um, very low income. Um, and, and this, this organization uh, helps, uh, helps treat and take care uh, of the people. Um, and there's some of their iron rates are incredibly low. The challenge is if you're on antiretrovirals, uh, that can have a negative reaction with an iron supplement. And so you actually can't take the two at the same time. So um, these people are actually living with quite severe iron deficiency and anemia. Um, but we've actually done a few trials with the Lucky Shakti Leaf, because it's in India, and shown that it has improved their iron status without impacting the ARVs. Uh, and so it's one of our, our favorite partners. We're proud to work with them. We've done a COVID campaign uh, to have uh, people buy units for that community. Um, and we're really proud of the work that we're doing there. So cool. And you know, I, I remember back a few of my friends, female friends would take iron supplements because their iron just happened to naturally be low. It seems like a common issue with anemia and, and they would take either, they would do one of two things. They would take a supplement. It was typically a liquid supplement and other ones would use like a, a cast iron pan and they would cook their meals in it. What are there any cons to that? I mean, what would be the benefit of them choosing Lucky Iron Fish over maybe those two options? Yeah, so cooking with cast iron has been done since 300 BC. So this is something that's been done for a very long time. Um, and when some of the, one of the cool things I've learned uh, by starting this company is how different cultures uh, have treated iron deficiency historically. So um, in India, they've used cast iron spoons in, in, uh, when cooking. In, uh, in Canada, uh, they actually had jars of water with nails in them. And every Sunday, people would drink the nail water uh, because the iron would come off. Oh my gosh. We don't recommend that at all. Please don't do that. Um, but it shows that there has always been this concept of adding iron into your meal. And that was the original um, ethos of, of the idea, that the disc that would fortify that meal with iron. Um, but what we've done is we actually make our product out of electrolytic iron, which is a type of iron used in food fortification. It has an FDA number. It's, it's food uh, grade certified. Um, and so it's easier for the stomach to absorb. And so it's, high, it's how we have that high absorbability rate uh, with the product. Um, and so we also, you know, every unit's tested for safety. And so by, by making it um, out of that material, we see the success that we have. Another challenge with, with cast iron pots is, um, or pans 
is when you cook them, you're using oil and things, and that can create a shield on the surface, which will eventually block the iron from coming off. Um, and so you might get inconsistent amounts of iron, or you might not get any iron uh, at all over time. And so you don't see that with the lucky iron fish. I remember too, it was such a hassle when I lived with my uh, female friend who had the cast iron pan, she'd cook for us and to clean that thing and to, just to even hold it up, it's so heavy. And it was, it just was ridiculous on how to clean it and move it around. And I'm like, well, there's gotta be a better way. So this lucky iron fish sounds like a much better way. And um, what do you, where do they store it typically when they're not cooking with it? Is there like a holder for it or something? So it comes in a really cool sustainable box made from uh, repurposed cardboard with vegetable dye ink. So it meets our, meets our environmental standards. Um, and we just suggest keeping it in the kitchen. Uh, you know, always helps you remember to put it in, in the food. Um, I actually use mine. I just boil water and keep the water in the fridge. And then I have a soda stream, so I'll have sparkling iron water sometimes. Um, or if I'm making a curry, I'll definitely throw it in or pasta sauce. Um, but when you, you're cooking and you see it right by your stove, you go, right, I got to use the fish. Uh, and so it's a great way. It's a great reminder. Uh, Good reminder. That's a great idea. And thinking about your hustle, I mean, you've hustled up and down to get to where you are now. What's something scrappy you did to hustle that maybe you couldn't have revealed when you were first starting out, but you're willing to share now? <laughs> um, every time I'm on, I'm on stage at a conference or on a panel, I'm always plugging the company doesn't matter what the topic is. <laughs> it's always uh, luckyironfish.com. Um, and I was actually doing that at an event um, in uh, Auburn in Alabama. Um, and I actually forget what the topic was, but it was not business. But I kind of went on to this elevator pitch about our company. Um, and we had uh, someone come up, to, come up to me after and say, loved your, loved your hustle, loved that pitch. I would like to learn more. I'm an investor. Uh, and that person actually ended up investing in the company. Um, and he said, I love the entrepreneurial spirit where no matter what you're doing, you're, you're advocating your enterprise. Um, so I still do that to this day. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of one of my mentors. He used to say, ABS, always be selling. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a savvy way to do it. And it sounds like you were able to do it where uh, people actually resonated with it rather than were, uh, you know, shying away. So. Well, I think like I'm, you know, I believe in what I'm, what I'm talking about and I believe in the mission. I think that when you're authentic, uh, you know, that comes across. And so I always, I always just try and be, be transparent, be truthful and be authentic. Yep. There you go. You heard it first, ladies and gentlemen, that's the advice from Gavin Armstrong. And again, we're going to transition now into something I like to call the under 30 seconds round where I'm going to fire off some questions, answer with the first one that comes to mind. Ready? Okay. What is the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? Uh, the Blue Sweater, uh, just because it actually talks about um, how you can actually help through business and not just be sort of this, the, the white savior. Yes, uh, very important, especially if you've lived in developing nations. Um, it sounds like we both had that experience where it can come off the wrong way. Uh, what's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? Uh, best investment was in my, um, my vice president of operations. She was the first person I hired. Before I even paid myself, I paid her. Uh, and, and she helped me grow the company. And worst investment um, probably would be uh, unnecessary software that would, I was going to try and uh, improve efficiency, which just ended up taking all of my money. Yeah, that's happened a lot. And a lot of businesses, it seems like with COVID, are forced to cut costs and analyze, okay, We've been paying for all these subscriptions. Which ones are we actually using and which ones are giving us the best return on investment? Yeah. What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine, Gavin? And what's the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine? 
Uh, in the morning, we do a, um, a, a coffee check-in with the entire team. Uh, we started this uh, with COVID uh, working virtually. Um, and it's really important to keep that community sense uh, of everyone. We're a small team, but it's important um, you know, just keep connected, talk about what's going on in that day and what challenges we're facing so we can try and help one another. Uh, and we're definitely going to keep that going now, uh, no matter whether we're virtual or in person. Um, and at night, it's shutting off the news. Um, there's, a, there's a point in my evening when I can't read or watch uh, the news anymore. There's, I mean, throughout my day, I'm looking for solutions. I feel very motivated to try and help. Um, but you need some time to, to decompress. And if sleep is very important, and I feel the news can keep you up. Yes, it can. And it can also take you away from uh, your emotional and mental game as well and, and holding your composure because, you know, sometimes that's the whole point is let's get more views, let's get more emotions riled up so we can, uh, you know, get people conversing and discussing and having a discourse. Um, quick question, because a lot of teams are having to do this now with the early morning check-in. Is there something you do that's maybe unique in your coffee meetup in the mornings that is outside of just the typical business um, talk of, you know, what are we working on today? What did we, you know, what are the problems or solutions we need to work on? Is there anything fun you do that maybe keeps the community engagement going? Yeah. So once a week, we actually have a, a longer deep dive. It's an hour staff meeting where we go over sales and everyone talks about what they're working on that week and uh, what challenges they need. It's an opportunity for us to keep each other accountable. Um, and uh, at the beginning of that, we do an icebreaker. And so, you know, what would you bring to a desert island or do you chocolate or vanilla or just kind of questions like that? We've been doing these for now three years. I haven't yet run out of icebreaker questions, but I'm getting really close. I, I have to Google some every once in a while to, to think of them. There you go. Start off with an icebreaker. Second to last one, pretend you won the Peter Thiel fellowship and you were going to get money to start a business rather than go to college. What's the very first thing you do to start your new business? Um, build, a, build an advisory team. Uh, you can't do it alone. Uh, you, I don't think that, I think it's fair to say that you don't have every skill that you need to start a business. So having a strong core group of mentors, advisors, um, I mean, it will put you off on your best foot. And uh, what's something you never knew you needed? Uh, friends. <laughs> um, I mean, I've obviously that sounds like it sounds weird, but um, especially during during this time of isolation, um, being able to just debrief, de-stress, talk to friends, get their advice. Um, you know, it's so important. I used to think like your social life and your work life were completely disconnected. Um, but when I'm there, actually, there, there, there's a, a huge synergy between them. Uh, and I get I get more energy. I get, uh, you know, fired up after having a great weekend with friends. Um, so having that work-life balance is, is actually going to help, you know, both your social and your, and your professional life. Very cool. Uh, I think we all needed to hear that. And so I think COVID is forcing people to realize how important social interaction is and how important uh, our friends and loved ones are. Mm -hmm. um, Gavin, thank you so much for being here today. Before you go, what is next for you? What's the next big goal, uh, milestone or bucket list item you want to achieve? Um, so Lucky Iron Fish Enterprise is our new, new sort of title. And so the acronym is LIFE. Uh, and so we're looking at how we can diversify uh, you know, our solutions to help solve uh, complex global problems. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to, uh, we're doing a capital raise now. So we're going to fundraise not only for the fish, but also um, hopefully get some, some funds to build out the next phase of the company. Very cool. And where do listeners go to connect with you directly? Easiest place, you know, our website, luckyironfish.com. My email is on there. Social media is all Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Lucky Iron Fish. Um, so that's, that's the best way. 
Great. Please go connect with Gavin and his team. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Gavin Armstrong with Lucky Iron Fish, who increases your iron intake. We learned so much today, the importance of friends and advisors, how to improve your iron intake and the luck of the fish. Gavin, thank you so much again for being here. Such a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. It was great. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.